0: Hey guys, on the podcast today, we have Stacy Harris of Network in Action. This is a re-air of an earlier podcast and one of our most popular podcasts. I do want to provide some show notes for you if you have already listened to the episode or you are curious why we would re-air. Stacey shares a lot about her story, her experiences, and she is just an overall great person to know and to be able to listen to. The first 10 minutes or so, she shares her early career experiences of being a teacher and what that taught her and then ultimately why she left the education field. Around minute 13, she talks about her transition from teaching and into retail and corporate buying. Minute 25, she discusses the beginnings of her first entrepreneurial ventures and of event planning. Shortly thereafter, around minute 28 or 29, she talks about a huge obstacle she had to overcome in her business and where she basically thought her business was dead and she had to do a complete reboot. Minute 39, she talks about a few tips of her famous nine tips on how to make a great first impression. Around minute 52, she shares her journey into what she's currently doing now and she's crushing, and that is NIA, Network in Action. And then lastly, around uh, the one hour and 12 minute mark, she shares an amazing personal story of how her personal network was leveraged to help save her husband's life. If you don't listen to anything, just listen to this story starting around minute uh, one hour and twelve minute mark of how she took control of her husband's dire situation and helped him get to the proper doctors so that he could have a chance to recover. I, I, have, I have goosebumps just saying that. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Stacy Harris. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Everson Cooper podcast.
2: We are entrepreneurs that are interested in what makes
1: people successful.
0: In this podcast, we sit down with a wide range of people with diverse perspectives and backgrounds.
1: We dive into the obstacles that they've had to overcome, their successes, unique experiences, and everything in between.
0: Our goal is to continuously learn from those around us and share their knowledge so that we can all find something that makes us better and makes those around us better.
1: We hope you enjoy. Okay, so today we have Stacey Harris with Network in Action. We are so happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, we just love you. You have had such an impact on us from the beginning of our business, like two and a half years ago. (laughs) Somebody was like, you have to meet Stacey Harris. She knows everybody, and she's amazing. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. i have to tell them thank you. It really was. I'm glad. And we met and like, it was just, I mean, we just totally bonded. We, we both did. had taught. Mm-hmm. So
2: that was definitely a common background. We escaped. With <laughs> <it>. <laughs> God bless teachers. There's a special place in heaven for those who persevere is. and stick with it. But it was not for me. Or you. Me
1: either. You were a huge part of me. You were the younger
2: version of me. I could see it. That's why we clicked. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It's one of those things that if I could go back in time and talk to myself when I was your age, then this is what I would have told me. Uh So that's what I did for you. Well, you totally changed my life because it was your
1: encouragement and the fact that you had done that that made me be like, okay, I know I can do this. Like I already knew I wanted to. I was like out in the community Uh and networking and trying to start this business, and I was like, I have to, like, I cannot go back to school. Yes. But then meeting you and hanging out with you and hearing your story, I was mm-hmm. like, I could totally do this. It like, always helps when you know somebody else has made the leap and survived. Yes. And mm-hmm. I will never forget when you said to me, um, just next time I talk to you, I want you to tell me that you quit your job. Don't talk to me before <laughs> that. <laughs> I was like,
2: okay, well, I don't remember telling you that, but that was pretty good. You know? I do, I do, and I was like, alright, well, I better, uh, don't so quit, or I can't ever yeah, talk to, to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That does sound like me, so I won't deny it. Yes.
1: But it yeah. was awesome, you were amazing, and since then, I mean, every, connections, people, groups, Revelling, okay. now you're doing network in action, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about, and I mean, it's just amazing, like, your impact on the people on this community is tremendous, Thank and you. it's definitely a tremendous for us, and we're you. super grateful. I'm happy to be here, I'm proud of y'all. Thank you.
2: you. We appreciate it. So you used to be a teacher. You taught for how many years? I taught for six years. I taught fourth grade for two years, first grade for four years. Um, I replaced my fourth grade teacher the first year I taught. I took her spot. And um, I was in a small school for uh, several years and then moved to Dallas and wound up teaching in the private schools. And which was a great experience. I wouldn't trade it for the world. I really am. But, um, I, it it just, it wasn't for me. There was always that ceiling that I knew I could only make X amount of money and I only had X amount of time off. And, um, that there were teachers there who were just because they were older than me and had more experience. They were making more money, but they weren't nearly as good as the teacher that I was. Right. You know, I it's, mean, truly they weren't, they weren't energetic. They didn't love the kids. They yeah. didn't, you know, and then I just got to the point that I mean, there's just so much stuff that, teacher, that teachers put up with. Mm-hmm. And I was not of that temperament to put up with the mm-hmm. parents and the administration and the testing mm-hmm. and all those other things that weren't that I didn't feel like were in the best interest of the children. And Mm -hmm. I have always loved kids, and I wanted to continue to love children. And I knew that if I stayed in teaching much longer, it was going to steal me of that joy. Mm -hmm. And um, like I said, I just always knew. I I didn't know back in the end. I'm not going to say that I knew I was supposed to be a business owner and entrepreneur, but I knew that I wasn't supposed to stay doing that, that having those limitations of, Financial limitations that that just was not for me. It wasn't the life I wanted to live. So, right, um, yeah. So when I transitioned out of teaching, and I felt like I had. I tell people it's like I had gotten out of prison. Mm-hmm. You know, I could make a doctor's appointment and run errands and do stuff when I needed to, <laughs> right. and all those little things that regular people take for granted that you don't think about. Yes. yes.
0: But did you um, feel liberated, or did you feel guilty?
2: Oh, I felt liberated. There was never any guilt whatsoever. No, because, you know, I knew that I had been a great teacher. I knew I had given my kids the best that I could, and I had left a legacy there. My first grade teacher was very impactful on my life, and um, I love teaching first grade. I love teaching kids how to read, you know, teaching, teaching a kid how to read that is a skill they're going to have forever. Whether they remember me or not, they're going to have that skill forever. And so that in itself was very rewarding. Mm -hmm. But when I made that decision, when I turned in my resignation, it was like my wings popped out and I was able to
1: Mm -hmm.
2: just move forward. I Mm -hmm. have never, I have never looked back. In fact, my recurring nightmare for years (laughs) was that (laughs) something terrible happened and I had to go back to teaching. That was my only option. (laughs) That is a terrible nightmare. <laughs> that that was my recurring nightmare for many, many years. Not anymore. I know that I'm resourceful <laughs> enough now. I can figure something out. That's but, right. Yes. I used to say I would live in my car before I would go back to teaching. That's mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Just the restriction of it. But I love the kids. I mean, I truly did. Yeah. I did. And I really, I see where my skills as a teacher have translated into everything that I have done. You know, all the public speaking, the training working with people explaining processes you know all of that kind of stuff that's all teaching people mm-hmm. and yeah. and you you have to be diplomatic to be a teacher you have to you know, you can't just sit down with somebody and go, your kid is stupid. There is no hope. You know, you just can't say <laughs> that. So, I um, you have to learn to, to put things in a way that people can receive them and mm-hmm. you have to learn how to read people. And so, mm-hmm. all of my skills that I acquired over those years, I've totally... So, mom and dad, the money was not wasted on college, don't worry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, was there something that yeah. happened that was like, I cannot go back to teaching or was it kind of a long journey of just kind of not feeling pet You know, it was actually,
2: it was pretty, it was a pretty traumatic thing. And my life is really, I've never really been the same. Um, I got the flu the last year that I taught in January. I'm out on the playground. It was about 20 degrees. We had a, one of our Dallas ice storms coming in and I got the flu and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I went from feeling fine to feeling like I was going to die. And I left school. I had to leave school early that day. I went to the doctor Um, straight from school. And she looked at me and said, you look like you have two black eyes. You've got the flu and flu turned into a secondary respiratory infection, which turned into mono. And, um, I was the sickest I had ever been in my life. And the principal of the school called me after two weeks and said, your time is up. Mm -hmm. Your sick leave is up. And either you have to come back to school on Monday or you have to start paying your own substitute. And back then, and I don't know how it is now, but substitutes actually made more per day than I was making wow. as a salaried teacher. And so I couldn't afford to do that. I was young. I'm in my twenties, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no way I'm barely making rent. And I mean, teachers, we all know don't make a ton of money. Right. And, uh, so I had no choice. I had to go back and I got even sicker and it really compromised my health and, um, Ended up having an autoimmune disease that I still deal with even to this day. And um, because of that, I just, I couldn't keep up the schedule anymore. I couldn't no. keep getting up at 4.30, 5 o'clock every morning. I was living in Dallas. I lived in Plano, drove to a school that was in Dallas. I had a oh, wow. one hour commute each way. Um So physically, I just really physically came to the point that I just couldn't do it anymore. Right. And um, But I think that was God's way of just pushing me out. You know, yeah. there were things that. I hadn't been happy with for a while, and so I just think that was his way of saying, "Okay, you've done this, you've learned what you need to learn, and now it's time to go on yeah. to the next thing." So that was, yeah, that was how I ended up. Thinking. So, what did you do? You got over uh, being so? Sick? I got over. It, it was it was a long journey. Um, yeah. I left there. I became a children's minister at a large church in Plano, mm-hmm. Texas, so, and um, worked there for several years. Um, but my health issues continued, and um, they actually got quite a bit worse. After a couple of years, it just didn't go away. I had a very uh, rare infection that got into my bloodstream as a result of the autoimmune disease. My body just not being able to fight stuff off. And I went into multi-system failure. I was 27 years old. Oh I became totally bedridden for three months. I was not able to get out of bed. Um, when they finally oh figured out what was wrong with me, they... Um, me on a treatment very similar to a chemo where it just killed out everything in my system and I had to reboot. So I ended up moving back to Virginia. My parents lived in Richmond, Virginia at the time. Mm-hmm. That's still where they are now. And, um, yeah, at 20, I was 28, 29. I ended up having to go back with my mom and dad while I went through about a year, year and a half of treatments. And, um, was still very sick. I uh, was really limited to what I could do. I couldn't be around big crowds, just like mm-hmm. going to church and stuff like that. It was kind of better if I just sat on the background left as soon as it was over, not being around a lot of kids and germs and just, mm-hmm. you know, all of that kind of stuff. So life was really different and very limiting for mm-hmm. about a year and a half, two years while I was going through that and um, found a great doctor though, that got me on the right path, figured out what was going on, how to fix it, how I could maintain my health and get back to my normal life. Mm -hmm. And I went into retail. I was out taking a walk one afternoon in my mom and dad's neighborhood. There was a little strip center that was in the neighborhood and there was a cute little boutique that Sold women's clothing and jewelry and, you know, clothes, shoes and jewelry, all pretty stuff. Yeah, All things that I like. Sounds <laughs> like you. I had always been able to dress myself. I found out working there, I could dress other people. Yeah. And, uh, so I was, you know, another, just another God thing. I walked yeah. into the store. I didn't know a soul. The manager walked up to me. We chatted for a few minutes. I kind of told her, you know, I probably can't work more than 10 or 15 hours a week at this point. I haven't worked in about a year and a half. And, she said, that's great. That's exactly what we need. And, um, you know, what I found is teaching skills, translating into sales skills mm-hmm. too. And so my first day I sold, uh, I had my first customer that walked in was going, I'll never forget. She's going on a trip to Scotland. This is a very high end boutique. She was going on a trip to Scotland. She needed a clothes for a business trip with her husband, I sold her $2,500 worth of clothes. Oh my what I didn't know back then, that was like what they would do in one or two days combined. Like all the salespeople combined would do Whoa. that together. So the owner comes up to me after this lady leaves and says, that was a really good sale. And I'm going to give you a raise. Oh my <laughs> so I got a dollar an hour raise on my first day and I was hooked after that. So I really, it was such a challenge to me. It was a totally new industry and she was, um, a business major in college, so she taught me the business end of things, mm-hmm. the numbers and the buying end. And then the manager was um, her. Her um, major in college had been retail sales and fashion merchandising. And so, mm-hmm. how do you merchandise the store and make it look pretty? And right. so the two between the two of them, they taught me this whole new skill set that I was able wow. to put to use. And I ended up becoming a buyer um, for mm-hmm. the store. And then I did a lot of sales. I started doing a lot of personal shopping. My, my customers became my friends. Mm-hmm. I started going on buying trips. I would buy things specifically for them and then call them and say, Hey, I, you know, wow. I was in Atlanta on a buying trip and I bought this for you. Come in and try it on and they would oh love gosh. it. And, you know, so that just kind of started a whole new thing for me. Then they asked me to start coming to their homes and help them put outfits together and clean out their closets. And mm-hmm. that led me to my image consulting business um, that I started once we moved to the woodlands. So mm-hmm. that was 13 years ago that we moved to the woodlands and we kind of landed here. My husband was being transferred. We bounced around quite a bit for the first couple of years that we were married. Mm-hmm. So I had in the back of my mind, the idea of, I wanted to have an image consulting business, work with people one-on-one and personal shopping, helping them with their image. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just weren't in the right environment. But when we landed in the woodlands, it was the perfect place. Yeah. So I ended up taking a part-time sales job, um, at a boutique as a buyer at market street in the woodlands. And, um, just use that to start networking and getting to know people mm-hmm. in the area we moved here. Neither one of us knew a soul. Mm-hmm. No family, no friends, truly did not know anybody here. Yeah. And um so I worked there for about six months and um and then I worked for some friends that I ended up making that had a travel consulting company. And the Randy and Lisa Otts their name to Getaway Travel. Two get getaway, the number two, travel. <laughs> I want to advertise for them because they changed my life. They were, wow. Randy is a serial entrepreneur. Lisa had a 35-year corporate um, gig that she did, but a lot of what she did was managing people, mm-hmm. um, developing people. And I worked for them for about a year doing outside sales, but they were also teaching me how to become, they, I, they knew going into it that I wanted to start my own business and mm-hmm. They introduced me to all of their contacts, their graphic designer, their marketing people. They just opened up their lives, their home to me. We worked out of their house, and they taught me so much about networking. And, you know, there was a—Randy really introduced me to this world of networking, the Chambers of Commerce and the different networking groups and things like that. And I didn't know it my whole life. I had been networking. I just didn't know it really had a name, you know? And, um so that was life changing for me. And then almost a year to the day that I've been working for them, they took me to lunch and said, okay, we're firing you. We're pushing you out of the nest. It's time to go start your own business. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. We believe in you. We'll help you however, but we're not even giving you the option anymore. And I was, you know, I was really at that point because I was working about 20 hours a week for them, about 40 hours a week for myself trying to make contacts and build up business and I had built up a nice little clientele just from the boutique that I had worked at when we first moved here from, right. you know, stay in touch with customers and stuff like that. And I was at that point of, do I make the leap to full time? Do yeah. I really go out, make this official, build my website, do all this stuff? Or do I um, keep working for them where it's safe? And right. so they just, they fired me. They made it where I couldn't stay. So funny. Yes. So I will forever be grateful to them because they mm-hmm. did push me out of the nest and made me, you know, it made me just say, okay, I'm committing to this. I'm doing it a hundred percent. They helped me build my website. They, my first big wow. event, kind of my debut event in the woodlands was, um, a big fashion show that I did. And uh, they invited all of their friends and family to come to it. And we sold out the show. Oh my sold gosh. out. We were max capacity in the restaurant where we had it. And that was how I launched my image business here. Wow. Yeah. Well, I thought that so incredible. Yes. So I want to circle back really fast.
0: Yep. What
1: um, skills do you think that teaching brought to sales? Like what what specific skills do you think – kind of crossed over that really helped you that you already had developed?
2: Well, I think with teaching, you have to learn how to work with every different personality type that Mm -hmm. God has created. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with sales because you never know who you're going to encounter and what their backgrounds are, what the personality Mm -hmm. type is going to be, what their experience is. Um, And with teaching, you know, especially with the kids, you got to win the kids over. They've got to love you or you're not going to get any, and they have to trust you and you're Mm -hmm. not going to get anywhere with them unless you... that rapport, And I think it's the same thing with sales. You're not going to sell anybody anything unless they like you and trust you and Mm -hmm. know you and feel like you're acting in their best interest. And that was also a thing, you know, I needed the parents to believe and I needed the kids to believe that everything that I did and said was in the best interest of their child. That Mm -hmm. that was where I was coming from. Not Mm -hmm. that I knew everything, but that that was the place that I was coming from. Right. And it's the same thing when you're making a sale to somebody. You need to be able to. They need to feel, first of all, that you care about them as people and that you are going to do your best to meet their needs. And you know this. I mean, not everybody. There are people that you've gone and you've checked out their properties and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, you could help them, but you weren't really the first one they needed. Yeah. They needed somebody else. And when you say that to somebody, um, you know, I can help you, but I know somebody that can help you more. Mm-hmm. That really says a lot about your character and your integrity. Yeah. And so I think, you know, all of the things that I learned from teaching really helped me and just how to read people, Mm -hmm. just really listen to my intuition of of what's rolling around in their brains and, you know, motives and all of that kind of stuff. I I think it just taught me to really be a student, Mm. um, of human behavior mm-hmm. and the things that people do. Why do people get defensive? Why do they close up? Why do they, you know, walk away? But, um, and the big thing, I mean, it just really taught me like how to, I take it as a personal challenge. Like if somebody does not like me <laughs> or if they told me like when they bought the first boutique I ever worked in, the owner said, I love it when people walk in and you ask them, can I help you with anything? And they say, no, I'm just, I'm just here to browse. She was like, this light goes off in your eyes because you take it as a personal challenge and they're going to walk out of here with a bag of something, you know? <laughs> so it's the same thing. I mean, even now when I come across people that maybe we don't, you know, for whatever reason, they think that, um, I don't, you know, my motives are not what they. Sure. Or intended to be or anything like that. I always take it as a personal challenge to just make them like me. Yes. Yeah. So that's something that I've learned. <laughs> or to fake it. If I don't like them, I can pretend that I like them. Sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes and make it work. So. Well, and you're do not. And nobody's going to like everybody. <laughs> they're not. You have they're not. to be agreeable. And kind yes, and, you do. Um,
1: you do. Yeah. And one
2: of the best things that I learned from my friends ahead a travel company is it's okay to fire clients. You don't Mm -hmm. have to work with everybody that comes to you just because they can pay you. It doesn't mean that you have to. There's probably another personality type out there that's better, you know, to work with them. Mm -hmm. So that was a big... That was a big lesson I learned. Mm. So your
1: travel people fired you. Yes. And you go home and you tell your husband, <laughs> what? I got fired today. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Maybe at least you don't love me anymore. No, yeah. <laughs> it was, it was like the nicest, most amicable firing ever. And, um, it was, again, it was kind of that feeling that I had when I was teaching and I left. Yeah. It was that freedom of, oh my goodness, I really can set my own schedule. I don't have to be on somebody else's time clock. I can do what I want to do and I can do it the way that I want to do it. And, um, so there was this freedom. I was scared out of my mind because there's yeah. just always that fear of failure. Yeah. Uh, okay. What if I do this? I make this big announcement. I'm going to have this fashion show. And what if nobody shows up? I remember doing, I did an e Evite and I remember like doing the Evite this first e Evite I had ever done. And I am technologically challenged always. And it was the first event I'd ever done. It took me hours. And I remember, you know, putting in all the email addresses of all the people I was going to invite and then just hovering over the send button oh for like an hour. Right. <laughs> am I really going to do this? Because if I put this out there, then I got to deliver. Right. And what if nobody shows up? And what if it flops? And what right. if, what if, what if? But... Um, you know, at the same time, the excitement, the exhilaration of clicking the send button. Mm -hmm. And when I started to get the RSVPs and the people who are, you know, supporting me and all of that kind of stuff. So it was totally worth it. It was totally worth it. But yeah, I was scared. My husband is not an entrepreneur. There's not an entrepreneurial bone in his body. (laughs) He is a, he is my steady man. He has, I could never have done what I do without him. He has always had the you know, regular job, insurance benefits, paycheck every two weeks, right. all that kind of stuff. And thank God for that because we needed that. Yes. And I would never, <laughs> ever been able to do okay. what I'm doing. I would not be where I am without my sweet Greg supporting me That's and awesome. him having his stable job and mm-hmm. all of that kind of yes. stuff. So, you know, entrepreneurship is not for the faint of heart.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to
2: be a little bit of an adrenaline junkie and you got to have a lot of faith. Yes. And there's a lot of faith that you have to put out there. So... He has always been supportive of me doing what I want to do. And um and I'm very, very grateful mm-hmm. for that always.
0: There is hope for Greg. So I, I can is, I can test. Yeah. I can advise. I do not come by entrepreneurship now. I can
2: see that, Andy. Hey, I can, see where, <laughs> I know, I can <laughs> see where No, I can see where you sure. prefer the study. But I think part of that's being a husband. You want to provide for your sure. wife. You want to have the consistency. Yeah. So I think that's a cultural thing.
0: Yeah, so, but he, there's hope for Greg. He can be converted. Uh, and certainly Elizabeth converted Uh me. Elizabeth comes by entrepreneurship incredibly Mm -hmm. naturally. Even when she was teaching and being a rock star at teaching, she still had side businesses. Yes. She was doing, she made jewelry, uh, then she, you know, did, uh, Stella and Dot, Mm -hmm. multi-level marketing company. Y'all should Um, see her jewelry closet. And so it, awesome. it really wasn't until real estate um, of having our our okay. own company, and I, I think also I saw our grandparents be successful with their own real estate ventures, yeah. companies, and whatever. Yeah. And I saw that that was uh, that was it was real. I could mm-hmm. see the the end of product, and I could see it how how we could build it. Um, but if it wasn't for Elizabeth being mm-hmm. the person that was driving it and yes. going and doing it every single day, yeah. I probably wouldn't have been able to do it on my own. Yes. Because I've, I have the same mindset. I, I have the same mindset. Yes. No, no, I need this amount of money every, every mm-hmm. two weeks. I, I want my insurance. I want my benefits. And that's yes. safe. And that's secure. Um, but I've been converted now. Yes. Been, converted. Converted. There's hope. There's hope.
2: Yes. There is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Greg loves the idea of it. It's mm-hmm. taking the leap. Yeah. That's that's right. It is. It's, it's a big leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It really is, but. He's I so smart know. and he would be so good at it. That heavy breathing is not easy. It's their dog Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> well. Cooper is. <laughs> <laughs> he is not happy to be out there.
1: So funny.
0: It's two doors out
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's Like I'm getting through this guy. He escaped. Hey buddy. Hello Cooper. That's so funny. Hello. So, you get fired. <laughs> I got <and> fired. <laughs> so you started this, this fashion image consulting business and yeah, you did a, a, a fashion show. I did. What happened? So, the place is sold out. The
2: place is sold out and all of a sudden, you know, a, a good chunk of the community knows what I'm doing and um, I started just networking my guts out. I joined um, B&I, became part of it, and uh, Business Network International and... That was huge. I mean, again, it really opened my eyes to the potential of networking. You're in a room with a bunch of like-minded individuals who are, for the most part, business owners, decision makers, you know, in their companies. They're all, um for me, it was just great to have that support group of other yeah. people who were in the same boat that I was, of generating your own income and generating your own sales and your leads and mm-hmm. filling your pipeline and all of those kinds of things. So. It was great. It was a. It was great. The accountability and the structure that it gave me, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. So I just had jumped in, and I was doing at that time. I worked predominantly with women, and I did personal shopping, total makeover. So if you ever saw the show "What Not to Wear" with Macy mm-hmm. and Clinton, mm-hmm. that was me. That was what I did. Wow. And um, I was very fortunate. I took a big talk about a big leap of faith. I had when we first moved here. I had worked at Market Street at the shopping center and. I'd gotten to know some people there, and I had decided that I wanted to do a fashion show in the courtyard at Market Street Mm -hmm. at the holidays. So I worked up the gumption to go and talk to the property manager, who I just had met like one time. Um, But she was very gracious, and she gave me a meeting, and I just asked her if, you know, if this is something they would let me do, and I would use all the stores at Market Street, their clothes, and, you know. Mm -hmm. At that point, so it was like July. It was June or July when I did that. And so she said, you know what? Our calendar is already booked for December. There would be no way that I could even put you in there. But I really like that the way you're thinking, and I like what you're doing with your business, and I see a good niche for it in our community. But what if um, we hire you to work with us on a contract basis, and we get you to put together a program for women? You obviously know what women like, what they want to do, hang out. I've done a lot of emceeing and, you know, that kind of thing. That's another thing I got from teaching is how to stand up in front of people and mm talk. you know, all ages of people, all sizes. Mm -hmm. And um, so anyway, she offered me this wonderful opportunity. So go put together a proposal. We'll meet back in two weeks here and see what Mm -hmm. happens. So that ended up being a contract job that I had with Market Street for about four and a half years. I ended up doing a lot of their special events. I hosted a program called Ladies Night Out that we Mm -hmm. did the first Monday night of every month. Um, We were on channel 13 every year. They would come out and do a special about what we were doing. And so, you know, through that opportunity, I got to do a lot of times if a nonprofit or a group wanted to have some kind of an event at Market Street they would Marcus, Schu would actually hire me to kind of be the liaison between them and the group. And then I would work on coordinating all the stores and restaurants and all of that kind of stuff. Really cool. So I ended up getting to work with so many different people mm-hmm. and organizations. And so that just expanded my network exponentially, you yes. know, all the people. And then when my contract came to an end, um, Uh, So then I really went into, it was almost more like event planning, marketing, you Mm -hmm. know, kinds of stuff. And then when my contract came to an end with Market Street, the Woodlands Mall reached out to me and said, is it true you're not there anymore? And I said, yes. And they said, then come do for us what you did for them. And so I ended up doing that for about 18 months and, um, and it was a great gig. But again, the, what had happened with market street, property management changed, Mm -hmm. new, new person came in, took over, said, I don't really see why we need to have a ladies night out. You know? So all of a sudden this big chunk of my business was gone. Mm -hmm. Right. And a very steady monthly income Mm -hmm. that I had. And then same thing happened 18 months later with the mall property management change, budget changes. Um, and it was devastating. I mean, when it happened, because it was, I'll never forget, it was on my birthday, which is August, August 31st. If y'all want to send presents. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, so I get a call on August 31st and, um, it is the property manager calling to tell me that. Um, so they had booked me the last quarter of the year for Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas. They wanted me doing all these big events, fashion shows for all of it. I had not taken on any more clients. Um, Because they had me booked for so many big events. Mm -hmm. I couldn't handle it. You know, it was me and my assistant at the time. Mm -hmm. And she called me on August 31st and said, they've pulled my budget. I can't pay you. Contract done. Oh, my gosh. And it's the end of August, last day of August. And um, I was, I really thought I was ruined. I really thought that was the death of Mm -hmm. my business at that point. Because I had literally no business lined up for the next. Because, September would have been the start of me preparing mm-hmm. for right. the last quarter, right? And um, I had no backup plan, no backup plan. So did you want to quit? It is the only time in my life that I curled up in my bed <laughs> for three days and I just stayed in the fetal position and cried. Yes, and did not like it out. I was inconsolable. I mean, there was nothing that anybody could say that could mm. make me feel better. If they said anything, it just made it worse. And right. Finally, you know, Greg kept coming in, making sure that. I wasn't going to jump off the balcony (laughs) or something. And And I just finally told him, I was like, I need to grieve. Like, this is the death of my business. And I just, you need to let me grieve and just, you know, I love you, but leave me alone. Because I just, you know, and I just really, I didn't know how I was going to regroup. I really, really didn't. And um, yes, I wanted to quit. I did. But the Mm -hmm. thought of having to go and work for somebody, I was just like allergic to that. I just couldn't. I mean, I always say, like, if I had to, you know, we can always do anything we have to do. Right. But it was not my preference. It was not, I just felt like I can't, I couldn't be me if I had to work for somebody else. I so what time period was this? this? What year was this? This was 2010. Okay. No, 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 no. This is 2018, right? Okay. This is <laughs> 2000. I've <laughs> been really busy this year. Um, this was about 7 years ago. Okay, yeah.
0: Okay. So yeah, yeah, so 2011, 2011, 2012. Yeah, somewhere there. Yeah, so I, I'm mm-hmm. I want you to talk about what was the rebound? What did you yeah. do? after you uncurled yourself from the fetal position? position it, took a, bed, it
2: took a while. It did. What was,
0: what was the reboot?
2: Um, I actually went into another business completely. An opportunity had come for a uh, for me and Greg to do some stuff on the side. It's a long story, but I really took like an 18 month break and um, I still I still had some really faithful personal clients that wanted me to come and do their closets and stuff like that, so I did that, um, but I kind of took an 18 month break mm-hmm. from it. I was really burned out too. You know, I mean, again, it's God's timing of sure things because mm-hmm. I was gone a lot at night because everything I did, they were big events, they were happy hours, you know, cocktail parties, networking events that were after five, that kind of thing. So there were, I mean, there were a lot of weeks that would go by where I was only home to eat dinner with my husband, maybe one or two nights a week, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was just really burnt out at that point, and I was tired of not being at home. And Greg was tired of me not being at home at night, and not having that time to have mm-hmm. dinner together and just sit down and talk about your day and all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And plus, he always helped me with my events, and he was worn out because <laughs> I, he was my he was my muscle. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I took about an eighteen month break. I kept working just with my personal clients. Like I said, kept doing that. So I still had, you know, I would say I was doing that about 20 hours a week Mm -hmm. that I had that going on, Mm -hmm. went and worked with Greg on this other business for a little while and um, just made some money. It was just some money coming in Mm -hmm. and I was still just trying to figure things out. What am I going to do? And then, you know, when I kind of got to that point of, all right, I'm ready to jump back in, but I want to do it different. I'm not ever going to put all my eggs in one basket again. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to, you know. I don't want to do the event planning. Um, A company called me that uh, is in the area, a big company, and they wanted me to come and write their dress code for their company. They were moving buildings. They were moving from being out in a really rural area to... Um, They were moving into a bank building, and the bank building, part of their lease was they had to have a dress code, and they had never had a dress code for their employees. They had about 75 employees, and um, they had, it was a referral, a lady that I would met from a women's networking group, like, when I first moved here, y'all. I mean, it was years before, at least 10 years that this lady had kept my card. Wow. And um, she was friends with one of the owners, and he called her and said, hey, do you know anybody who? And she Mm -hmm. said, yeah, I do. And he called me, and it was a great gig, and it lasted about six months. They had me come in and work with each department and um, ease everybody into the transition. Mm-hmm. And that got my feet wet again, and I started thinking, you know, hey, if I'm doing this for this company, there's no reason I couldn't do this for other businesses. But right? I couldn't come in, and there's no limit to the kind of businesses that I could work with. This mm-hmm. could be for real estate or doctor's offices or whatever. So I kind of circled back to all the context that I had made. Before, you know, through mm-hmm. market sharing and said, I now have personal services and corporate services. Redid the website, rebranded. I changed my name. I had been Stacey Year's Images when I first started out mm-hmm. and decided to change the name to Impressions. And so I did a whole rebranding and new website and new business cards mm-hmm. and made the circuit again, you know, that I've made before. and um, And just reinvented myself.
1: -hmm. That was really
2: it and came back, came at it from more of the corporate standpoint then. So it worked out. Yeah. It worked out. Yeah.
1: Well, I'm sure you had a lot of wonderful things to share. I know, um, at some of our groups, no, Mm or I'm sorry, our coaching for networking in action, you did a uh, talk once about the power of a positive image Mm -hmm. and things like that.
2: So did that come from? your corporate training, some of those things that you do now that you talk about. It did. You know, a lot of the power of a positive image really came from bad networking experiences that I had. (laughs) Well, it was was awesome. I want to help people. And I would just see the mistakes that people would make when they are networking um, and how they would exude negativity instead of positivity and how that just really repels people instead of attracts people. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, whenever you give out, I mean, there literally is that stink of desperation that people give off Mm -hmm. and And negativity is usually comes from desperation, you know, of this feeling of hopelessness or I've got this sales quota and I've got to make this happen, you know, that kind of thing. And so I just saw all these mistakes that people made when they were not networking that ended up really hurting them in the long run. They weren't building good reputations. People didn't want to be around them. They didn't want to sit down and have coffee with them, you know, things like that. So. That was really kind of where the my power of positivity talk came from. But as far as the corporate stuff, you know, I I started writing dress codes for companies, um, how to make a good first impression. I would work with um, admins, business development people, whoever the person was that was the first touch out in mm-hmm. the community with a potential client, whoever answered the phone, um, went to the networking meeting to represent the company, that kind of thing. Um, I started working with them a lot. Um, I had a doctor's office that hired me to work with, they had a new business development person, great lady, great personality, terrible dresser mm. and, um, just wore all black. That was it. That was safe. And that was what <laughs> she wore. And, um, so they hired me to come in and work with her. They gave her a shopping allowance. They gave me, you know, X amount of dollars to wow. take her shopping. They were willing to invest in her as an employee, which I always loved seeing. And that was not really company. there actually are a lot of companies out there that will do this kind of thing. And, um, I took her shopping. I taught her how to dress. I taught her where to shop and how things were supposed to fit and colors look good on her and everything. And I'll never forget, you know, the next time I went into the doctor's office, the doctor pulled me aside and saying, this has not only changed her as a person, it's changed our entire office because she sets the tone for our office and she's happier. She's more confident. She feels better about herself Mm -hmm. and how she feels. And, you know, I mean, when we... When we girls are having a good hair day, all is right with the world, That's right? It's true. When we have on a cute outfit, we know it. Everybody else sure. looks cuter. Our husbands are sweeter. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just the way we're built. And, sure. and the funny thing is, I mean, once I started doing the corporate stuff, I'd started working with men. And I found out that with men, it's the same thing. I mean, the confidence level goes mm-hmm. up. And you know when you look good. You have a good haircut. You look filled together you carry yourself differently. You look at people differently. You see the positive more than Mm -hmm. the negative Mm negative in other people when you're seeing the positive in yourself. Mm -hmm. And, um, so that was really what I started training on. And then I had just, you know, I built up this great network of people and I am a great networker and I, it's just a God given gift. I can't, I mean, that's just all I can say. And, uh, People started asking me, how do you do this? How do you have this network of people? And how do you keep in touch with everybody? And how do you walk into a room and know who to talk to and how to Mm -hmm. engage them and that kind of thing? And so I realized there was a big need for that of teaching people how to network. Because for people who are more naturally introverted, you know, for me walking into a room full of people that I don't know, that is just the best thing ever. (laughs) I'm like, okay, new friends. That's, you know, that's how I look at it. Is It's a whole bunch of people that they don't know it yet, but we're going to be great friends. And, um, but for introverts, it is, you know, it's kind of like my um, nightmare of having to go back to teaching. It's, you know, they walk in a room where you don't know anybody and it's just, overwhelming. And where do I start and who are these people and are they going to like me and what are we going to talk about? And, you know, any kind of insecurity that you have can definitely come out. And so I found if you can kind of give, I've come up with the nine building blocks of how to make a good first impression. And that's a big one that I do. I did that for, um, for one of our big oil and gas companies here Mm -hmm. a couple of years ago, um, for a lot of different businesses around here. And, um, and you know, I've kind of come up with this formula of how do you make a good first impression? And Mm -hmm. I've found for our introverts and for people who are new to networking, it kind of helps to have this checklist Mm -hmm. of things that I can do to make a good first impression. And a lot of it is common sense, but it's just things that some of us know, some of us don't know it, but to bring it to the front of your mind, to be aware of it when you're Mm -hmm. out networking with people.
0: Now, oh, can people find that on your website?
2: They cannot, Andy. They okay. have to have me as a guest speaker okay. to get that. All right.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you, can you give us two? Can you give them a teaser?
2: I can. Yeah. Um, oh. you know, the number one, I mean, one of the main things, and obviously I love to talk about this, but, um, be dressed, be mm-hmm. professional mm-hmm. in your dress. <clears throat> I always say there's nothing wrong with being the best dressed person in the room.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: If you're going to be known for something, you want to be known as, the one who was the best dressed, not the one who was in her yoga clothes over in the corner. You know, because when we are talking about people, when we identify them, it's usually, oh, she was the one that had on the red dress or he was the guy that had on the purple tie or, you know, that kind of thing. So how do you want to be described? Were you the one that was the hot mess or were you the one that was pulled together? Okay. Maybe you were dressed. um, Maybe you were, you know, dressed up more than anybody else in the room, but you look the best. There's nothing wrong with that. I would much rather be known for that than the other. Yes. So that's one of them. And I always say, you know, dress the way you want to be addressed. So if you want to be taken seriously as a professional, you've got to look like you do what you say you do. And if you don't, there is an immediate mistrust that people have. Mm -hmm. If you do not look like you do what you say you do. I went to a networking event. I think you were there. Passively, Elizabeth. (laughs) At a lunch. And there was a lady in the corner and she had on a mini skirt, and she had on like, I call them hooker heels, you know, Mm -hmm. big platform sandals (laughs) and a a dress cut, you know, shirt cut down to here and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And I sat there the whole lunch. There's about 40 people in the room and I sat there the whole time going, I wonder what this woman does. Like, I just couldn't figure it out, you know? And she gets up and she stands up and she says, I'm a divorce attorney. And I just remember, like, my jaw hitting the ground. Like, I just really had to close my mouth and mm-hmm. look away because it was so incongruent. Mm-hmm. Um, business attorney, you know, if I am needing an attorney, I want my attorney to look like an attorney. I want them to be buttoned up and professional right. and look like they're ready to go to court and defend me on a dime. Right. And that is not what this woman looked like. And, and everybody in the room, like, you could feel the, oh, really? Uh-huh. You know, kind of going through the room. And so it just creates this mistrust. Um, You don't look like you do what you say you do. So how do I know that you really do it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's my, you know, that's probably my number one thing. Um, And then another tip, you know, that I love to give to people is to focus. Focus on the person who is in front of you. They're is nothing worse than having a conversation with somebody and whoever you're talking to their eyes darting around the room. It makes that yes. person feel like, well, there must be something going on behind me or there's somebody else they want to talk to. They need right. to, they want to get away from me. Um, I had a mentor that told me one time, you know, every dud is a stud and it's so true. It really is true. And the longer that I'm in business, the more I have experienced this. So don't ever discount somebody, you sure. know, focus on what they're saying. if, if, if you go into a networking event and you're focused on, I've got to make this sale and I need to meet this kind of person. And then you end up in a conversation and you immediately check them off the list of, oh, they don't fit the box. Um, but you don't know that their dad doesn't fit the box or right. their best friend or the person that they came to the event with.
1: Right.
2: If they have a good experience with you, they're going to remember you. They're going to refer you. They're going to pass on your information. Mm-hmm. Um, you just You just never know. Mm -hmm. And so focus on the person who's in front of you. Give them your time. Give them your attention. Leave them better Mm -hmm. than they were when you found them. Encourage them in some way. Compliment them. Mm -hmm. Share a good website that pertains to their industry. A good book. You know, anything like that. But always leave people feeling good when you walk away from them.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Well thanks for sharing.
2: Yes, you're welcome. If
0: people want to hear the other seven, they have to hire you.
2: That's right. That's <laughs> yeah.
0: right. Yes. All right. Good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I worked hard on those nine building.
0: <laughs> so we'll we'll set up some way to tag if people hire you from our podcast and then you know
2: we'll, we'll work out some compensation.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. You'll get a kickback <laughs> for sure. No, 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 no. Full yes. yes. disclosure, no kickbacks. Back.
2: No. <laughs> I would funny. be happy to do that. For neighbors, I'll cook you dinner. <laughs> there okay. you go. Fair enough. Yeah.
0: Deal. Sold.
2: If only you knew. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> dinner, she means we're going to order from Los Cucos. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. So my this, is is why, this is yes. why we bought yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, wasn't for this cookie has, cookie The Los Cucos thing, the Los Cucos thing. Yeah. Cooking <laughs> yeah. 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 equals Los Cucos. Our new house we moved into has double ovens, and that was like a big selling point, supposedly. <laughs> but <laughs> Not real. I look at it as more room for shoes. So right. The, the, You're the, like a ring closet. Yeah. Right. And it's totally true. Yes, yes, double ovens. Why would I ever need two ovens at the same time? I'm going to use one. (laughs) Mm. It's totally true. Yeah, no, I cook more than I used to, but, you know.
0: So
1: you did this corporate... Training and working Mm -hmm. with people. I think that's so beautiful. There's such a need for that. That's really cool that you do that. And
2: I love doing it. I really Mm -hmm. love doing it. And I love to see companies that are willing to invest in their employees to Mm -hmm. bring somebody like me in Mm -hmm. to do those things for them. Oh, yeah. It goes a long way. It goes a long, long way. So you
0: talked about a success, the Mm -hmm. the woman with the doctor's office, business development. Yeah. what What was something that was super challenging that you were like, wow, I've got my work cut out? Uh, And then what did you do to Mm -hmm. overcome that to help them be successful? Or maybe it was something that the company was doing or whatever. I'm I'm curious about that.
2: Um, That's a good question. Let me think about that a second. That was super challenging. I think um, it was probably, it was a new business that wanted me to come in and work with their employees on how to make a good first impression, how to build rapport with clients. But the owners themselves thought that they didn't need that training. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Ah, And it was a real problem Mm -hmm. because they weren't good at that stuff. Mm -hmm. They wanted their employees. So it was like a do as I say, not as I do kind of deal. And um, it was such a, again, an incongruence that you saw. Um, with the company, the owners of the company saying, This is the experience when our customers have, and yet when they interacted with the customers, that mm-hmm. was not the experience that was being given. And you have to lead by example. It's like having little kids. I mean, mm-hmm. they're going to do what you do. It didn't matter how I trained, the material that I put in front of them, the presentation, how entertaining I was, or how good the information might be mm-hmm. when the owners of the company were not putting into practice the thing that I was teaching them. Half the time the owners would start out in the business or they start out in the meeting with us and then they would get a phone call and they'd leave and never come back.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, so that was yes. just saying, you know, well, this isn't really a priority for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. So that was a big challenge. And to have that, just, I finally had to sit down with them and say, okay, this is only going to be this successful and this is why.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: And that was, you know, that was hard to do. It was hard to do. And I finally just said, I just think that you probably don't need to, I don't need to come here anymore. Mm -hmm. Like you're really throwing good money out the window and doing this because if you're not willing to do it yourself, it's just not going to happen. And, you know, I mean, they appreciated my candor. They were very, I mean, they were great about it. It's business, you know, I mean, I've definitely grown a thick skin Mm -hmm. in a business this long and we decided we would part as friends run into them from time to time, yeah. you know, and, um, I mean, there's still a business. It's not that they're not, but they have a, they still have a huge employee turnover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would love to have solved that problem for them, sure. you know, if yeah, I sure. could have, but yeah. so that's probably the biggest challenge. And just getting fed up enough that I finally sat him down and said, okay, there's just mm-hmm. so much I can do, you know, right. but, right. um, leadership, I mean, leadership is another thing. I mean, I, I am a student of leadership. I love, I love to see good leaders. I love to be around good leaders. I love to read about leadership. And um, so that was very frustrating to me because I felt like I cared more about the company than they did in a lot of ways. That was always my frustration as an employee whenever I worked for people, too, Mm -hmm. was I always felt like, and maybe I'm a little bit of a control freak, but... (laughs) I just feel like I could do it better. My way is going to be better. I just always feel like I cared more about it, you know? And it was funny when I was still in the retail world. I mean, a lot of times the customers, they would think that I own the store. They would make the mistake. I had one owner that got like seriously offended because everybody that came in said, no, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to the owner. And she's like, I am the owner. But she wore a baseball cap and her yoga clothes to work. And she never looked like she was the owner. You know, I mean, that was the thing. So that was a, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was a lot of the problem yeah. there. But yeah. that, was, that was probably my biggest challenge, and being willing to walk away from the money. You know, because it was a good gig that I had going. It was some consistent money that I had coming in, and um, and that part was hard to wait. To walk away from, mm-hmm. but I couldn't sleep at night over it. You know, it's just not worth it. And then it was just days after I walked away from it, we shook hands and said, good luck. And, um, I got a call from another company, an even bigger deal. Yep. There
0: you go. So. Yeah. the type of energy that you put out there. That was a demonstration of your integrity. And so, I mean, you were, you were rewarded for it by another yes. company filling that void. It always comes yeah. back to
2: you. Yep. Doing yep. the right thing. Yep. It's really incredible it how
1: that's true and how you can see that. And it's mm-hmm. neat to be hearing your story and being able to like, I know where you are now and where you can go and yeah. like, to look back and be like, all these puzzle pieces just fit. They me. did. Who you they are did. And you stay true to yourself and you were true to the people you were serving. And I think that that's one of your best qualities Thank is that you, you really know who you are and you know, who the people are that you're working with, mm-hmm. and you bring out just such beauty in people. I mean, Thank you. I
2: just think that's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. You know, it is just as important to know what you don't want to do as mm-hmm. what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've found that. And a lot of times you don't figure that out until you try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there will be those failures along the way.
0: And well, I think we can all attest, uh, everyone sitting in this room can attest to we tried teaching, we we wanted to do it we were passionate mm-hmm. about it yep. but now we know no that should be sailed. not we for did me it. not yep. for me anymore mm-hmm. and yeah i think that is you, you just said it. it's it's as important to know what you don't want to do because yeah. then that can sometimes act as a distraction yes well i really like what i do here but maybe the grass is greener on the other side i've exactly. never tried this before mm-hmm. maybe i could be really really good at it mm-hmm. and so you need to know that no i don't Do that, yeah. I want to stay focused on on this, yes. And
2: that was the thing. I mean, I became very laser focused about this is the kind of client I want, this is who I want to work Mm -hmm. with. I want this size company, I want this, these circumstances, you know, this setup. Mm -hmm. And I became very, very focused Mm -hmm. on what I wanted. And we all know, you know, wherever energy flows,
1: and that's where where it comes from, that's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What comes to, yeah. So, what brought you? to where you are now. You own now four franchises. Network in action. action. Network in action. Which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Because you started two years ago when you had two Two years
2: ago. Yesterday was my my anniversary. Yes, I should have posted something on Facebook. Actually actually, I just forgot that it was (laughs) (laughs) See now that I'm not a teacher and I don't write the date on the chalkboard yes. every day, I really know what the date uh, is yes. unless it's my birthday or you know something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did I get where I am? I, you know, like I said, when I first started my image business twelve years ago, one of the first things I did join a networking group, mm-hmm. and networking became my world. It became um, I have always just built my businesses on word of mouth. Um, I Amazing. never did any magazine ads or radio or that I paid for. I might've been invited to be sure. on radio TV. I had a great TV gig that I did several years ago, um, that was offered to me, but, um, I never paid for any advertising. Mm-hmm. I just always did it through networking, through building relationships. And, um, so I had been in, uh, BNI Business Network International for nine years. I had been a member of this wow. group. I, um, I had built wonderful relationships. I had learned so much. It's a wonderful organization. Yeah. It is the world's largest networking organization right now. <laughs> and I catch it up. That's right. Started by Ivan Meisner. They've been around thirty five plus years. It's been incredibly successful. They have a formula that works, no doubt. Um, I had just eked out every bit that I could out of BNI really at this point. So my business had really changed when I joined BNI, you know, I'd gone from personal shopping and working only with women. And now I'm looking for corporate bigger gigs, mm-hmm. different people, you know, that kind of thing. And so it just wasn't a good fit for me anymore. And it was time. It was also a time issue for me. And um, so I just sat down and I made like, it was truly, I mean, this sounds crazy because it's a networking group, right? But it was like one of the most difficult agonizing decisions I've ever made that I was not going to renew my membership. Yeah, And, um, I put the word out to, I sent out an email to a bunch of friends and said, um, you know, I'm leaving I and I'm looking for opportunities. I'm going to leave the Woodlands. I'm going to get a stamp in my passport, go south in 1960 and um, go into the city. (laughs) And um, one day a week, I'm going to network down in Houston. You know, I think that that's where I need to go now. I need to hit these bigger corporations, Mm -hmm. meet people down there. And um, so if any of you know, you know, and like I said, I sent this out to a bunch of people. And if any of you know of a networking group, down in Houston that would be good. I'm hoping I can hit like a breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner, happy hour, you know, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing, and just spend one day every week down there building up my network there. Mm -hmm. So I decided I'm going to start all over. And I've done it once before. I could do it again. And um, a friend of mine reached out to me. He had heard about network connection, sat down, told me about it, explained to me what it was about. He knew he had a friend who um, was actually the very first franchisee with Network Connection yeah. Wow! and connected me with him. And um, I called him and asked him, you know, could I come and visit your meeting? Mm-hmm. And uh, he invited me to come to his meeting, went down there and um, was just kind of blown away. I just loved what I saw. I loved the energy. They met in this beautiful restaurant. There mm-hmm. were well-dressed people there, you know, if they were dressed nicely, then that really appealed to me. So um, they were professionals and they were doing a lot of business together and they were happy to be there. It was a very interactive meeting. Um, it went by just really, really quickly. And it just so happened that the owner, the founder of NIA, Scott Talley, was at this meeting and um, we started talking and As the conversation went on through the evening, he finally just said, If you've got all these contacts and you know all these people in the woodlands, why don't you just buy a franchise and do it up there, be a professional networker? And it was like somebody had hit me like between the eyes with an axe because it was just one of that (laughs) lightning bolt moment of
1: Yeah,
2: why don't I do this? (laughs) Like I've been doing it all these years and not getting paid. I can connect all these people and get paid for doing it. So I came home and I couldn't stop thinking about it. You know, I'm driving home and my mind is just going in a million different directions of why this would work. I really can not think of one reason not to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I came home, I talked to my husband about it. He thought I had lost my mind for sure.
0: <laughs> and, um, but
2: he usually does. My I first present ideas to him and he comes around and, um, you know, things just lined up. It just, that was at the, um, that, uh, I left Munich at the end of April. At the end of May was when I went and visited the, my first NIA group. Um, we signed the papers to July 17th. So it just, everything wow. just lined up and just happened. And um, I did a big launch, kind of a launch and learn is what we called it. Mm-hmm. And I sent out invitations. <clears throat> I invited, you know, everybody that I could think of that I thought would be interested and just come. See what I'm doing, what I'm investing in. And yeah. if you're interested, that's great. Or if you know somebody, you know, I just need to get the word out about what right. we're doing. This is a brandy thing. Nobody up here was familiar with it. And it just kind of went from there. So I had like 13 people that signed up that day to join wow. my project, wow. you know, from that's the launch and learn. Um, and 13 people is what you have to have to actually launch a group mm-hmm. to get started. Wow. So, um, and then the next few days we had... I don't know, I had like 12 or 14 more that signed up. So I actually was oh able gosh. to start two groups at the same time, which nobody had done before Yeah, you know, with, with NIA. And, um, uh, you know, our founder, Tally, he has just been incredibly supportive. I think the thing, I had never, ever considered a franchise. That was a whole new thing to me. Um, but I tell a lot of people it's a business in a box. Mm -hmm. And I had already done the starting it from scratch with my image business, which I loved. And I would never, I mean, I'm not sorry for any part of that. That's my baby that I created from nothing. But I also knew how much time and energy and effort Mm -hmm. it took. And I had thought, I mean, there had been several times that I thought about, I'm just going to start my own networking group. But then I started thinking about the processes and the forms and the systems Mm -hmm. and the website. And that, you know, I mean. All of that kind of stuff. And that was just daunting and overwhelming and a lot of money to do yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And um, so with Network in Action, all that was done for me. It is a business in a box. The systems were in place. Um, our corporate office had a 24 hour, you know, millennial tech guide that yeah. takes care of all that for me. I never have to worry about the website or the online forms or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. it really afforded me to just step in, buy a business and do what I was good at, which was connecting people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And helping them build their businesses. You are. You're a rock star at So I just, you know, it has afforded me this ability to do that. And, it's you know, it's taken all these different things that I've done and all these years of being in business um, to really figure out. You know, I have been a part of a lot of different networking groups. B and I was definitely the biggest influence on me as far as networking. But I have always been a part of chambers and independent groups and things like that. And I'd really become a student of, I, I was almost always in leadership, like every year that I served at BNI I was mm-hmm. in some kind of a leadership role. But I kind of figured out, you know, what worked and what didn't work and how I wanted my group to be and how I wanted it to be different from the other groups right. out there. And so, um, I, I have a lot of NIA franchisees, they call me to talk to me about what I've done with my groups here. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm very honest with them, I tell them don't like, don't do what I did. Don't start two groups at one time because I had an inordinate amount of contacts, like just a freaky, crazy mm-hmm. long list that most people aren't going to have. Right. But because of my contacts with Market Street and the mm-hmm. Woodlands Mall and doing all those events, that was how I had that contact list, you know, so that's right. how I was able to do it. I did not get here on my own at all. <laughs> you know, I mean, truly,
1: yeah.
2: it was really just a process. So, um, Scott has given me a lot of freedom, with the franchise to run the business the way that I run and do mm-hmm. that I want to do it I do it um, a little bit different than all the other franchisees that are out there just because of the area that we live in because we're in such a strong networking area um, my groups kind of have a, a different membership standard as far as what my membership requirements are to be a part of the group and you know mm-hmm. different things like that not right or wrong mm-hmm. it's just the way that I have set mine up yeah is you know and um so that's, that's really how it happened. I mean, it was just one of those things where everything lined up just perfectly. And in kind of record time, I was able to, to get started in the business and to get it off the ground. And, uh, so that was July, 2016, August, 2016 was when we had our first meetings. Mm -hmm. And then, um, at the end of last year, November, I launched two more groups. So we have four now. Mm -hmm. My plan is to start a fifth group. My god size goal is by November to start the fifth group. Ah, um, had kind of a crazy year so far, yes. but things are calmed down a little bit. And uh, so hopefully by November, I'll be able to start uh, the fifth group. And then a sixth group in the spring of next year is my plan. That's amazing. And then we'll see where I am then. Six maybe enough.
0: <laughs> so, a lot. Well, yes. I want to ask a question. Of yes. four, so it's been two years. It has been it's two been years. So like right on the nose. Two, two years on
2: the dot. Yeah.
0: So take a little time to reflect back. What did you think you were going to do? And I know that you mentioned it was business in a box. Mm And so a lot of things were already set up. You didn't have to do some of that grunt work at the beginning. But were there anything – was there anything that you were like, oh, yeah, I want to do this. And then maybe four months in, six months in, or even a year later, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, man, I'm not doing that anymore. I didn't – I'm not doing it this way. What was something that Mm -hmm. maybe has has morphed over time? I know that you mentioned – you did talk a little bit about you do things differently with the membership, but mm-hmm. is there anything over the two years that maybe has changed along the way you've learned along the way?
2: Um, you know, honestly, there really, there really isn't. I had such a clear picture in yeah. my mind of who I wanted, the kind of people that I wanted, the feel that I wanted with each meeting, um, what I didn't want, what mm-hmm. I did want, mm-hmm. how I wanted it to go, all of that kind of stuff and I've stuck with it. It's just been a formula that I have found works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the one thing that's constantly changing is membership. You know, you always have attrition. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a really high renewal rate with my members, but you still have people who lose jobs, you know, they get laid off, they move, they retire, they, you know, different things like that. Um, but I really, I really stuck with my core values of this is the way I want it to be. And, And I mean, truly, and I don't, I know that Scott won't mind me saying this, but Scott and I truly like butted heads over my membership. So my membership requirements are, as as a corporate policy, all of our members throughout NIA have to pass a criminal background check and a personality profile. But I added three more membership requirements for my franchises. So my members have to have, uh, they have to be experts in their field, minimum, you know, two to three years experience Mm -hmm. in what they're doing. Um, they have to be a decision maker of some kind mm-hmm. in their business and they have to already be an experienced networker. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want the brand new baby business owner or the person who just moved here and they're networking to get to know people. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the reason there's nothing wrong with that, that was me many years ago. Um, and there's definitely places out there to network that really cater to that. Mm-hmm. BNI being one of those, BNI is excellent education, mm-hmm. how to be a good networker, accountability, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I wanted people that were established in their business, experts in their field that already knew how to network because I wanted my members to be getting immediate results. So as soon as they got into this group, they realized that, Hey, I'm with professionals who know what they're doing. It's okay to send a referral to them. They're going to take care of my client. They're going to mm-hmm. take care of me. Mm-hmm. This is a safe place. Um, and it's going to be quality. They're professionals. And it's going to be a good experience that they're going to have. And it's just amazing what happens when you put people who know what they're doing, they're decision makers, they can make things happen and they know how to network. They know how to sit down, have a one-on-one with somebody, get to the heart of them, the information that you need to know to be able to understand each other's businesses and send business to each other. It's just magical. What happens Mm -hmm. in a conversation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you just put the right people in the right room. So I was very adamant about that. Scott kept coming to me and going, Just do one group that just, just have one group that's for new inexperienced business owners and people have never networked. And and I kept saying, no, I just, that's not who I want to work with. That's the teacher in me. It's like, I knew how I knew I wanted to teach. I knew I wanted to work with. And I knew that that was not what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. That takes up a tremendous amount of time. And that's not how I want to spend my time. I want to spend my time growing my groups, recruiting new people and making sure that my members are happy with their mm-hmm. membership. They're getting out of it what they want to get out of it, yep. facilitating relationships. I tell everybody I'm a professional matchmaker. You are. <laughs> I'm looking for business owners who are going to have a good synergy together. So I've really stayed true to my formula. Good for you. Yeah,
0: I really have. Well, you mentioned, you know, laser focus. And so you, mm-hmm. know, you knew exactly what you wanted to do. And yeah. I think, and I think you've done a very good job of articulating at least i understand it this way that even with networking there's different levels of quality yes you can just be thrown into a room with mm-hmm. 100 people and it can be just it's highly commoditized it's yeah. very low quality but mm-hmm. a lot of volume a lot of people and then but you're on the other end of that like no no, no we're going to have people that are high quality they're professionals yes. you're going to get right to the heart of the business if you want to do business with that person you can do business you can do business, with, business with them
2: and you can feel safe doing it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and
0: and uh, to not to diminish or so the quality isn't diminished. Mm. As you mentioned, you want people that are in two to three years. So they're established. They're not just, Oh, I just decided to do this and it maybe six months. They're not doing it. Exactly. And then three months later, you know, three months after that, they're doing something completely different. Right. And so after a while, you know, you went back to, you want people to like you, you want people to trust you. It's mm-hmm. the same way with the people in it your is. networking. Yes. You want, you want the people that are there together to like each other, to trust each other. Yes. And if you keep kind of switching what you're doing and the gigs that you're doing, it's no, confusing. Well, they're not really well,
2: they, yeah. It's that's a hobby. To trust
0: them. Yeah. yeah. That's a it's yeah. a hobby. At least on a professional basis.
2: And I want people who are doing this, they are serious. This is how they're feeding their families and mm-hmm. building their lives. And that's I want people who are hungry, who, you know, have big goals where they want to go. People ask me all the time, like, what's your best group? I always say that's like picking your favorite child. You can't do that. <laughs> but um, truly, my groups are very much alike in personality because I have a type. For sure. sure. I am looking for happy, positive, energetic people who are passionate about what they do. Um, and and so the energy and the personality of all four of my groups is very, very similar. They're a little bit different in size, and that's about that it. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. You know, I have kept my groups. I don't want my groups bigger than 35 people. And that's why I have decided to do multiple groups. Um, because I feel like when you get bigger than 35, you lose the intimacy sure. of the group. And it become it can become overwhelming to even an experienced networker to walk into a group of 40, 50 people, and it's like, where do I start? Who mm-hmm. do I talk to first? You know, so I think it, it becomes very overwhelming. Your meetings can get too big by the time you throw you got forty people, you get ten or fifteen visitors. That's a lot of people in the room, yeah. and that can really that can sometimes take away from what we're really trying to do.
0: But was there a purpose behind you said thirty five? Mm-hmm. I mean, just. From your experience, like, yeah, 35 is about it. It is. Okay. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's just from the groups that I have yep. been in okay. where I really saw, um, you know, a big push to let's get to 50. And yeah. it was, you know, you get to 50, but then your attrition
1: mm-hmm.
2: is mm-hmm. a very high percentage, mm-hmm. very high percentage because people feel lost. Yeah. They feel lost. I always say it's like being in a small Bible study group, you know, like a small group and a mega church. Sure. You know, I mean, it's kind of that yeah. feel where you go from, I know, I, it's like, Norm, everybody knows your name, to, you know, yeah. nobody knows me. It, know. it doesn't matter if I'm at the meeting or not, because there's so many of us, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter.
0: And we can attest to that. We, both of us, not with Everson Cooper, but, but, but prior to that, we, you know, were networking and, and whatever. And you know, we would, not to name any names, but we had gone to different membership groups or um, whatever, and just, it was great. Their thing was, oh, man, you get to, there's hundreds of people here. But then after a while, like, well, where do we start?
2: That's yeah. it. it. And even, I mean, I'm an experienced networker. I can walk into any room and find somebody yeah. to talk to. But it's still overwhelming to me when I go to these events. It's two, 300 people. And mm-hmm. it is. It's, who do you talk to? It's mm-hmm. kind of a crapshoot whether you mm-hmm. run into somebody that can right. really, you know, if there's, it's usually loud. There's usually alcohol involved, you know, things like that. And it's, so it's, you know, it's, I like the more controlled environment. Yeah. You know, my members always, in fact, we they were laughing at me about this yesterday. Um, we met in a restaurant, and one of them said, can I go get a drink at the bar and bring it to the meeting? And I said, absolutely not. You know, we mm-hmm. are professional. We are sober during the meeting. Sure. And I have no problem with alcohol. Truly, I don't. I give everybody a drink ticket at five o'clock. They can use it to get a soft drink, drink club soda in line with me, or they can get an alcoholic beverage Mm -hmm. after the meeting at five o'clock. That's happy hour. I buy appetizers for everybody and we mix and mingle. But, um, you know, it's, you need to be professional and you start mixing in alcohol with your networking events and, and it can be a lot of fun, but you're going to have a much harder time building relationships and getting stuff done because it just becomes more social and more of a party. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of the way I look at it. So that is, yeah. But it can be very overwhelming when you walk into these huge groups. But there's, you know, there's room for all of us. There's room yes. for all of us. And I can't say that enough. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people look at, you know, NIA, BNI as competitors. I really see us as being apples and oranges, truly. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's room for everybody. I send tons of people to VNI that mm-hmm. contact me that want to be a part of NIA. And they're just not ready yet. You know, they're mm-hmm. brand new. I didn't take you at first. That's right. Did Did I? I said, go, get a little time under your belt. (laughs) That's right. Come back (laughs) to to me when you're ready. That's right. Um, And that was really hard because I loved you and I knew you were going to be successful, but I had to be true to my membership. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most important
1: thing because now that I am a member, I know that you're going to do that going forward. Mm -hmm. So I know that the people I'm sitting next to in that Mm -hmm. meeting, you have held them to the same standard that yeah. you held me, they and went, I appreciate that. Yeah, they've been under the scrutiny mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really so. important. I think that's something really, very unique about mm. your group, and it makes it extremely valuable. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, sometimes
2: you meet with people, and I'm like, oh, they're going to be so good at this, but not yet. Yeah. You know, stay in touch with me.
0: And, yeah. Yeah. Well, stick to the process. Stick, stick that's it. Stick to, to and it's just because I trust
2: it. I trust my process. Mm-hmm. I know my formula works. I know that I know that I know that it works. Yeah. So... That's, you know, that's what keeps me to it. But, um, I always do my best if it's somebody that it's just not a good fit to, um, give them an outlet where they can network, to make mm-hmm. some suggestions, to give them names of people that they should sit down and meet with, people who might be able to mentor them, you know, just different things like that.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't want to hijack your questions, Elizabeth, but, uh, one of the times, but he's going to, I I, am, I, okay. I, I I do apologize. Have I'm ready. <laughs> couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, so you are with, with your husband, Greg. Yes. Uh, you, Greg had, you know, just he's had he's a time. He's the had a major,
2: major health issue. He's so, my miracle. My Greg 2.0. Yeah. <laughs> he's bionic now.
0: <laughs> so at, uh, at Reveille, um, uh-huh. uh, several weeks ago, actually maybe a couple of months ago now, you told kind of your personal story about the power of your network. Yes. And Elizabeth and I looked at each other and we were like, We've got to have her on the podcast. <laughs> if, if nothing else, just to tell, tell, tell story. that story. Because for, for a number of reasons. One, it's just it was incredibly powerful. And just the power of the network and, and why it's good to just not to know people to say mm-hmm. you know people, but to get stuff done when it needs to get done. Yeah. Then also, you were just an incredible storyteller. The way that you told the story was just incredibly compelling. And so, if you don't mind, we would love if you love told the story. To if it's, if it's story. not too, you know, too no. you know, personal or anything like that. We we're on the
2: other side of it. Then. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. Um, yeah, that day was emotional telling the story. Yeah. But it's easier now, and we have a happy ending. So, yeah. we've had thousands of people around the world praying for us. Okay. So, yeah, and February 21st of this year, um, my husband was on a business trip in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and he collapsed. He drove himself to the ER, ate dinner. He knew something was wrong. He thought he had food poisoning, um, but decided I'm away from home and I better get to the ER cause something's not right. And, um, by the time he pulled in the parking lot of the ER, um, he was having chest pains. He couldn't breathe. Um, he got to the door of the ER, collapsed in the door of the emergency room. They scooped him up, took him back. Of course, they thought he was having a heart attack, chest pains and can't breathe. And, um... They hooked him up to the EKG and realized very quickly his heart is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. So they took him for a CT scan right away, and they found that he had, they call it triple A, an abdominal aortic aneurysm. He had a very large aneurysm uh, right by his heart. Um, But on top of that, his aorta had dissected, which means there are layers of the aorta. The layers had split apart, and his had split from top to bottom. (laughs) Um, There are very few people that live through this, it is, uh, they say it is probably one of the most painful things that you can experience and they can't, they couldn't give him pain medicine for it because they needed to know what was going on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, he couldn't be loopy. He had to be able to talk to him. Yeah. So, um, this was not a trauma one hospital. Baton Rouge is not a big city and, uh, it's not a trauma one hospital and they did, I will forever be grateful to Baton Rouge general hospital. They saved his life. Um, in diagnosing him and what was wrong, but, uh, there was not a cardiologist or a surgeon in the state that was qualified to care for him, that knew how to care for him to get him stable. And if he was going to have to have the surgery, which would ultimately be an aortic replacement, um, there was nobody in the state of Louisiana that was qualified to do that. So, um, I got to, I got the call from the emergency room and, at uh, 10 o'clock at night, major thunderstorms going on here. Um, it's a six and six, six and a half hour drive to Baton Rouge. Um, I talked to the air ER nurse and I said, what do I do? Do I drive? Do I fly out in the morning? And she said, um, you are probably going to be here for a while. Your husband's going to be in test all night. Um, I would get your affairs in order and his, um, you're probably going to be here a while. And, um, you know, do you have medical power of attorney and all this kind of stuff. So it was not a happy picture Mm -hmm. that she was painting for me. Um, In the meantime, I'm getting on my laptop looking up AAA. What is this? And it's really, really bad. Like Mm -hmm. it is like a heart attack would have been so much better. That would have been a much easier (laughs) fix. Like, you know, I never thought I would wish for Greg to have a heart attack, but that would have been easier than this. And, um, so I called a friend of mine, Brenda, Adu is, I know her from networking. I called her that night and, um, my neighbor lives across the street who I also knew from networking. I didn't know she was my neighbor. We had been friends for years before we lived across the street from each other. I called the two of them. One of them found me a flight for the next morning. The other one drove me at four o'clock in the morning to the airport helped me, you know, so I was up all that night just crying and praying and hoping for the best. And, mm-hmm. uh, I made it to the hospital. Um, I get there. Greg was really unstable. They couldn't get his blood pressure under control. Again, it wasn't a trauma one hospital and there are just so few people that have this happen that lived through it Mm -hmm. and they just didn't know how to take care of him.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: So they kept trying to get his blood pressure down, which was crucial and it would spike back up and they just, they couldn't get him stabilized. And so this went on for, um, for, we were going into our fourth day of it going up and down and, um, they just, you know, the doctor came in. It was on a Friday afternoon, and he said, you know, hey, we're, we we waited all day to see this doctor and the ICU doc, and he walks in, and you know, it's four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and he basically says, we're going to try this and try that, and hopefully it'll work, and we'll see on Monday <laughs> how he's doing, and um, we'll we'll talk about you going home on Monday. And he walked out of the room and you know, I was just super frustrated. We're all very frustrated. My in laws are there, my husband's daughters are there. We were very frustrated with the situation and Greg looked at me and there was just this look on his face and you know, I don't even know if he remembers saying this to me or not, that he just said, I don't think I can make it two more days. I just I can't keep up with this up and down. I just don't think I can do it. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, like this holy, righteous anger just boiled up inside <laughs> of me, which it doesn't happen very often, but once it does watch out, sure. you know, so I looked at my father-in-law who is a rather large man and said, come with me. We're going to go talk to this ER doctor. So I went out there and, you know, I just said, look, we live in the cardiothoracic capital of the world. that Rouge, Louisiana, God bless you for <laughs> saving his life, but we got to get out of here. We, we need to go home. And, um, bottom line they did not want him to let us go home because he couldn't be careful I because of the aneurysm. Mm-hmm. if we went in the helicopter there was too much of a chance the aneurysm would rupture and that would be it. Um, so to get him home we had to do it in a critical care ambulance and again it's a six six and a half hour drive and they were afraid he was going to die on the sure. way and the hospital would be liable. so it they were basically holding us hostage there. Um, I finally had the conversation with the doctor I just said look, We're not staying here, and I'll just tell you now, I'm not going to sign off on you to operate on him. I have medical power of attorney, and I will never sign off on anybody here doing surgery. So keeping us here, it's a moot point. So how do we get him out of here? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, you have to have a receiving hospital and a receiving surgeon. And I said, what does that mean? And he said, well... He said, it means you have to have a doctor in a hospital that says, we'll take him. They have to be willing to take this case. And this is a very serious case. Your husband is very ill. You know, I was like, yeah, I get that. So I said, okay, how do I do this? Is there a network between you doctors and hospitals? Do y'all talk to each other or what? And he said to me, and I will always thank the Lord that he used this wording because this is what set me off. He said, well, I'll tell you what, when I'm out on the boat this weekend with some of my friends who are surgeons, I'll ask them to tap into their network And see if they know any surgeons (laughs) in Houston. (laughs) And I just could have killed him right there. I mean, I've never went to hit somebody so bad in my life as I, you know, right then. And so I said to him, he had said that word network and there could not have been a better word. And I looked at him, I pointed my finger at him and I said, I don't need your network. I have my own Mm -hmm. and we're leaving here tomorrow. We will be gone. And he said, ha-ha, it's 4 o'clock on a Friday. Basically, you know, good luck. And I looked at the ICU charge nurse, and I said, I will be back within the hour. I will have names. And you be ready. You know, the doctor, be ready to call. So I grabbed my, uh, my husband's youngest daughter. She had her laptop with her. And I started giving her instructions, you know, looking up hospitals and doing different things like that. We got on the elevator. We went down to the cafeteria and got on the, on the way to down there. I'm on the elevator, and I just start texting. I just start thinking of every person that I know that was in the medical field or related to the medical field, whoever it was. Sent them a text message, told them what was going on. To this point, I hadn't put anything out on Facebook or anything like that. So, and um, There was still just a pretty small group of people that really knew what, what was going on. So I sent the message out, told him what was going on, told him what I needed. I needed a doctor. I needed a surgeon willing to take him on, cardiologist, and um, get back with me ASAP. I have to have this information before 5 o'clock. And um, it was was incredible how fast— people and I always tell people like you know you have a good network when people respond Mm -hmm. to you Mm -hmm. so within 20-25 minutes I have like this overwhelming response of everybody and the miracle was is that we were given three names but the top two names ended up being the guy that was our cardiologist here locally and then the surgeon that ultimately did great surgery wow the names that came back to me And uh, so the number, the number one guy was a Dr. Mark Matoyer Methodist Hospital in the Woodlands. And, um, you know, he's the guy that you need to get. So, and here's his cell number. Okay. So my contact calls me back and says, this is his cell number. I have talked to him. He is willing to take Greg as a patient. So at 4.45, I walk back upstairs, I go to the charge nurse and I had doctor, you know, one, two, three, this is who we want in the order. And these are their cell numbers. I had cell numbers for every single one of them. And he looked at me and said, what is this? And I said, these are the doctors. And this is number one and this is who I want you to call. And then you tell Dr. Briere to call. And he said, um, he goes, how did you do this? Who are you? What do you do? You know, and I just, I, I just looked at him and said, it doesn't matter. I said, I, I know people. I said, for a living, it, it, this is this is my job. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, and he just, he just stood there shaking his head. And I was like, what are you waiting for? Call the doctor. Tell him to make this call. Yeah. So at that point, it is 5 o'clock on Friday. There's not really anything else I can do. So um, we go and have dinner. My in-laws and the girls, everybody is pretty depressed. And I just make this statement at dinner of, y'all need to like pack tonight. Cause we're leaving tomorrow, you know, and my father-in-law is like, how, how you heard what the doctor said, you know, pop, I don't know, but we're going to get out of here. That's all I can tell you. I, I don't know. So I went back into the hospital, just me and Greg that night. I was going to spend the night with him And he said, you know what, honey, I just want to be by myself. I just, I haven't had a minute's peace. I just want to be by myself. Please go to the hotel, get some rest. I'll see you in the morning. So I left very reluctantly. I was so tired y'all. I had not slept in like 72 hours. I mean, I was just exhausted and I literally was too tired to make it to the car. And I stopped in the waiting area of the hospital by the parking lot. And I just sat down and had a good cry. And at that point, like I said, I hadn't put anything out on social media. Um, but I was just overwhelmed with people were starting to find out what was going on and, um, family, you know, from all over the country trying to figure it out. So finally, you know, I hadn't put anything out there. Greg's a very private person. But I finally decided I'm just going to put something out there. If he gets mad at me, it means he's still alive and he'll get over it. So, um, so I put it out on Facebook, you know, the situation that we're in. I just asked for everybody's prayers to, to please pray for God to make a way for us to get from point A to point B and for it to be seamless, you know, because we just didn't have time. Mm-hmm. Time was not on our side. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was about 10 o'clock at night. I drove to the hotel. It was about five minutes away. I was sharing a hotel room with my stepdaughters. Talked to them for a minute. Brushed my teeth, washed my face, crawled into bed, crashed. I finally fell asleep. I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, and my mind is just circling. I'm just trying to figure out how am I going to get him home. How am I? Gonna so um, anyway, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning. My mind is just going in circles of how am I going to do this? How am I going to get him home? I had promised him the night before in the hospital before I kissed him goodbye. I told him the next time I walk in this room, it's going to be us going home together. We're going to go home tomorrow. And he just said, how are you going to do this? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to do it. I don't know. I'm going to say your, your parents, your girls in the morning, I'm going to work on getting home. So I wake up at four and I think, how am I going to keep this promise that I have made? And that was the scariest part to me is just keeping his morale up and not giving up. And, uh, I didn't want to get up. I was wide awake. I didn't want to get up because the girls, I didn't want to wake my stepdaughters up. So I just grabbed my phone and I thought, well, there's always work to do. I'll answer some emails. <laughs> you know, we're never off when we're business owners. Right? right. So I grabbed the phone and I have between 1030 at night and four o'clock in the morning. I have gotten over a hundred private messages from people. Wow. And, um, Just, you know, comments. So I thought I was so touched by it, number one. And um, so I just start reading the messages and it was just such an encouragement to me. Mm -hmm. So I just want to say, if you know somebody that's hurting, send them a message. I mean, it just, I Mm -hmm. can't tell you how much it means. So I started reading the messages about four or five messages down. It's from a lady named Cheryl Lanshae. God bless her forever. And uh, Cheryl has said, Stacy, if I can help you with anything, let me know. Well, it hits me like another bolt of lightning. Um, Cheryl can help me. Cheryl, I know Cheryl from many years past, the very first networking group I ever joined. Her husband was in that group. Her husband was my business coach for a couple of years. She worked for St. Luke's Hospital at the time, helped run St. Luke's, and um, she had hired me to do a fashion show. For St. Luke's Hospital, years before, like seven, eight years prior, and she and I had got we friends got to know each other. What I had forgotten, whenever I thought about Cheryl, I just always thought about St. Luke's. Mm-hmm. What I had forgotten is that when Methodist Hospital opened up here in the Woodlands last year, Cheryl moved with the CEO to run Methodist Hospital, and Methodist Hospital just happened to be where our doctor that we wanted, Doctor Metoyer, was. So I wait until it's Saturday morning. I wait until eight o'clock and I send her husband a text message. I didn't have her cell number for whatever reason. And I said, Carlos, you know what's going on with my husband? He said, yes. I said, I need Cheryl's help. She called me right away. And I told her, Cheryl is also a nurse as well as an administrator. So she said, tell me his condition, what's going on. I told her and she said, Stacy, you have to get him out of there. They will kill him doing what they're doing. Um, and so I said, okay, but they're holding him hostage. And can you tell me how to speak hospital so that they will let him go? Because if I didn't get the hospital to release them, then our insurance would not cover any of the care that he had had so far, which was already about a quarter of a million dollars worth mm-hmm. of care. So, um, anyway, she said, yes, I can tell you exactly what to do. And she said, I'm going to call you back in five minutes. And I said, okay. And she called me back and she said, I've spoken to Mark, the doctor on Saturday morning at eight 30, you know? He is waiting for the call. The doctor in Baton Rouge still has not called. Oh He's waiting for the call. And, oh, by the way, you were in ICU room 2001. I have a suite waiting for you. And, um, and then she said, grab a piece of paper, and I'm going to tell you what to say and how to say it and how to make these people jump. Mm-hmm. And I did exactly what she told me to do. Um, my friend, Brenda, had come through again. She had found a critical care ambulance company in Baton Rouge that would drive him from Baton Rouge to the Woodlands. So she had set all of that up. I called her in tears because it was going to cost $10,000 out of pocket. This is not something that insurance would cover. Mm-hmm. So it was going to be $10,000 out of pocket for the critical care ambulance. And I was, like, just overwhelmed with the, you know pulling out a credit card and putting $10,000 So I'm telling her and I'm like, but I got to get him home. And she just gave me this pep talk and she said, Stacy, we will get a collection going. This is not a, you know, you take care of Greg, you get him home. That's it. So she starts working on this end. She gets the ambulance lined up. Um, Cheryl tells me what to say to the hospital in Baton Rouge. We go jump through the hoops and um, they finally, they agreed to release him as soon as I told him, you know, we have the doctor, mm-hmm. we've got the hospital and um, I'm on the, on the phone. All of a sudden my phone starts ringing and it's the patient advocate person from the Baton Rouge hospital. And I'm on the phone with the ambulance company. I merge the two calls. We work it out. I give them my credit card number, gold. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, I asked the, the ambulance company, I said, okay, you know, when, when can we leave? And I'm thinking they're going to say that night or tomorrow or, you know, and she goes, oh, as soon as you give me your credit card number, I dispatch the ambulance. We'll be there in 45 minutes.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: That's so amazing. I throw all of my stuff in a suitcase. I call my in-laws and the girls and say, come back quick, get your stuff in the bags. We're leaving 45 minutes. We are out of here. Yeah. I walked into the hospital at 11 o'clock that morning on that Saturday morning and the ambulance was there and they were putting Greg on the stretcher to bring us home. Mm-hmm. So it was truly through networking that we were able to get him home. Um, we got to the hospital. Uh, they took us right away up to ICU. Um, in four days, they had not been able to stabilize him in Baton Rouge. In four hours, he was stabilized here. Unbelievable. And the doctor came at midnight. He had been at a heart ball. And he came at midnight to check on Greg. He had gotten a call from Cheryl saying this is the priority case. He came at midnight in his tuxedo to make sure that he was stable and um, then helped us get, uh, he and our cardiologist, Dr. Cunningham, helped us actually get the number one Aortic surgeon in the world mm-hmm. to do Greg's surgery yeah. eventually. So we are eight weeks post-op as of this week. Um, he became a part of a clinical trial and uh, he was only the second person in uh, to have had this he, he was the second person in Houston to have had this surgery done this way. Mm-hmm. But um, he is, like I say, he's my bionic man. He's doing great. He went back to work part-time last week. And uh, they tell us there's no reason to think that he can't just have a perfectly normal life. But never in all my years, you know, did what I have dreamed that networking would help us save his life. Mm-hmm. And that's truly, that is truly what it came down yeah. to. And you talk about karma. You know, I just, and, you know, on top of that, all of my NIE members and then Reveille, another networking group that all three of us are part of, they took up a collection, raised almost $6,000 for us um, to help pay our interest deductible, you know, all the expenses. I mean, it's, it's just a lot of expenses, but it's, yeah. and the whole scheme of things, it's a drop in the bucket, yeah. you know, prior yeah. to yeah. everything. So, we just celebrated, Greg. Celebrated his birthday, and we celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary on June the 12th. And, um, yeah, life is good. So it's you never know the contacts that you make. Um, Mm -hmm. You never know. It has just amazed me the messages that I've gotten from people that I haven't seen in so long. Mm -hmm. You know, but the messages of, you know, I remember when you did this for me, and your husband Mm -hmm. is on our prayer list at our church, and just, you know, different things like that, people that I've... Heard from from mm-hmm. around the world, friends from the past, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's it's the best networking story yeah. ever.
0: I, <laughs> think. I, I, th- I think so. <laughs> <It's> the,
2: <best laughs> the power of a
0: network. The power the of positivity. Power of a
2: network, and um, yeah, I mean, it was just it was incredible, and yeah. none of that would have happened if it had not been for my network.
0: That's right. right. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Well, Kudos yeah. to you for you. never. Like even thinking about giving up or just saying, well, this is out of my hands. Oh, there, you know. The doctors will take care of it. You're like, no, 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 we're no. going to do something. Yeah. We're going to find a solution.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's If he had not used that work, I'll tap into my network. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, that was it. I was like, I don't need your network. I've got my own network. I'm <laughs> gonna anywhere. I don't know anybody, but I know everybody back <laughs> home. That's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank
0: God. you. Seriously, though, thank you for sharing uh, that. Yes. I, that's, that's a really, it's a powerful story. It's a very personal story. Um, But I, you know, hopefully, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yes, no, thank you for asking. I'm
1: happy to tell it, Stacey, I feel like we could talk to you forever, but we've already had you here for a very long time. So, thank you for sharing your story and your wisdom and all the amazing things that you've done. And this very personal story here at the end, I think that's a really beautiful way to finish because Mm -hmm. it really encompasses everything that you are doing, your business, your life, and the things that you've stayed true to always. Mm And I just think that's amazing. So we love you and we appreciate you so thank much. Thank you
2: for having me. I'm proud of y'all. Thank you. Very proud of y'all. They're thank gonna you. teach me real estate investing next. That's so gonna be my <laughs> that's gonna be my next business. Endeavor. That's right. That's yes. right. Yeah. That'll be my Perfect. retirement, baby. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're ready. <writing. laughs> thank you for having me. Thank you for being thanks, here. Thanks. Yes.
0: Hey everyone. Before you go, we just wanted to thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, then be sure to check us out every Wednesday for our latest episode. Visit us at eversoncooper.com slash podcast or find us on iTunes and any other podcast players. Thanks for listening.